0: I, we're probably going to roll right into this, but I just wanted to warn okay. Jason right up top. This is episode 400. Yes. So we're expecting a lot out of you.
1: Holy shit. 400.
2: This is our All right. dude. seven years, <laughs> seven. You are the culmination of seven years of hard work, Jason.
1: Wow. Well, congrats, guys. That's amazing. That is a, quite a feat. Like how many, uh, like how long is like an episode?
2: <laughs> well what a what a simple question that does not have a simple answer well we so we used to run like three hour episodes then we broke it up wow. so it's a week so every episode's around an hour and a half roughly
1: cool so it could be almost a thousand hours
2: oh, unfortunately God. yeah <laughs> wow there might be a good half hour in there too yeah <laughs> I'd like to think we've gotten better but yeah it's
0: it's more confusing than impressive that yeah. we've done 400 <laughs> but hey wow. um, you know early on uh our goal was going to be my goal was going to be talking I man I love like criterion and highbrow film but I also fucking hate them and I hate talking about them cuz I think a lot <laughs> of smarter people have done it before me so I've always kind of like waited around in uh like indie horror and like genre film. And a large part of that is uh, because of you. And I remember back when, oh God, House of the Devil came out and everybody was you like, you know, that's
2: not Jason. Right? I know, but,
0: okay. but I remember everybody <laughs> saying horror's back. Yeah. And I just remember being kind of confused. Like I was finding like Bergman and stuff at the time. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it was cool, mm-hmm. but floating in a sea of Bergman. But I remember when Hobo with the shotgun came out, then, then it clicked for me. <laughs> and i remember boring people to death about like the the way that the lighting helped the narrative and it set emotional tones and cues and people just like did not care and i could <laughs> never like, i never understood why and i'm i'm really looking forward to talking to you and figuring out this enigma together <laughs> and also i uh, i promise we'll promote your new film too
1: oh yeah that'd be great um <laughs> It's funny. They're not the only ones that gave me a hard time when I tried to go to like a film school kind of like university once and I only made it like a half a term um and uh I was experimenting with like colored gels and stuff and like I was filming this like this like short film and the teacher got so mad at me for like having unmotivated uh, color because I was just like, I was doing it like a creep show thing, like my mind. And so I'm just like, I was telling him, it's like, it's like a comic book. I'm I'm mining it like a comic book. And he, he couldn't get that into his head. And gosh, he gave me a a hard time about it. And so I think it kind of always stuck with me in a way that I was like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And like, I just embraced it.
2: Unmotivated color is what (laughs) I got out of that story. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, that's I, a good description of me
0: i don't yeah. understand why though like i like i see the problem i always have is that clark over here he's got like medium highbrow taste and our engineer who probably won't pop up at all but you know i like to play in the mud i know you do yeah. and, uh our engineer randy who blacked his screen out he doesn't like to play in the mud he and he he mostly sticks to criterion and michael bay and Truffaut, and uh he doesn't get it he really enjoyed Jackass 4, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had a great time. It's great. Answer. Like, okay, here's a good segue into your um, career. I, um, I've spent a lot of time trying to convince Randy that YouTube is a worthwhile venture for films, film fans. And I'm like, how can you ignore a whole, like, visual medium? Like, people are putting their own work up there. There's, like, no gatekeepers, if you ever thought of Hollywood as being one. And it's like, it's the Wild West of film. This is where art can bloom. Mm-hmm. And he would just be
3: like, no, it's trash. <laughs> and <laughs> no. I think he's come
0: around a little bit, Randy. You can defend yourself if you want.
3: I well, only, like, I only mostly watch podcasts on YouTube, so I, okay. I haven't explored any YouTube films. Mm.
0: But, well,
2: Uh, we've got some suggestions, Randy. We can take care. of.
0: Yeah, and, you know, um, in your career, Jason, I was actually worried for a little bit when I noticed you weren't making features, and then you came out with one of the best things I've ever seen on YouTube when you teamed up with Vice and did The Dark Side of the Ring. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious how you feel about, like, internet distribution.
1: Yeah, well, gosh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have made, like, been able to make anything i've made if it wasn't for youtube i guess like because at the time god this was 2007 i remember uh was i when i made the fake trailer for hobo with the shotgun and that went viral like at the time a million views was like that was like crazy like you know within like a week or something like that and um and i remember like you know that there wasn't many like um like vloggers on at that time and there i like i would like reach out to some of them and like tell them i got a movie coming out and you know it it was it was you know it all started from putting the short on youtube and and then it was kind of it felt like a smaller like community of people like making like shorts and putting them up on up on youtube uh which makes me sound old or something but um i guess uh i i like for me all my projects i've had to like prove um to financers that people want to watch it and and most of my work has stemmed from making a short film first and expanding it into uh into a feature uh but yeah
0: so do you think it's like a viable option for people now like if oh yeah
1: absolutely the future is youtube definitely i i think so like um I think uh, that's just like because other streamers don't allow you to do what like you can do on on YouTube. Like like you can play with content and like you can like you were saying, it's a great place for just like movie criticism and like um, I you know I spend a lot of time just like watching videos on you know an analysis on filmmakers and. And whatnot and and youtube allows you to you know to use like content and create your own content whereas like any other thing like netflix or i don't know any other streaming platform you can't do anything like that like and you can't upload your stuff to netflix or and use that audience or anything so i i don't know i just see the future is like youtube for people who want to tell their stories like visually um i just i think that's a there's like a freedom to it uh, it seems to be um, for yeah like i don't even i don't even have like cable or um we have like netflix and um a couple things but the like the i i subscribe to youtube cuz i don't oh, man. i haven't i haven't seen a commercial on youtube in years unless i'm at someone else's house and then i remember like oh my god dude it the best yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's the best that you've forgotten about YouTube commercials. It's one of the things in life.
1: Yeah, it's like it's so good for your mental health to just <laughs> buy the fucking premium or whatever, so you don't have to see another commercial. And you just—I don't know. There's just—I—I I, I sound ridiculous, but like, yeah, that's where like I go to like watch stuff.
2: <laughs> it will be the last subscription I hold on to. Yeah, I think (laughs) so. You know, it's funny. I got shamed
0: into getting the YouTube subscription. You're welcome. And not by you. I was part of it. Yeah, you were part of it. But then I went over to my parents' house, and I I was trying to show them a video. And when a commercial came up, I was horrified. I was like, what's wrong with your YouTube? I know, right? Yeah, I'm completely on board now. But, you know, when I think so. There's a weird thing that happens. But you have uh, Kids vs. Aliens is coming out on Shudder. Actually, is that going to come out the day this airs? Next uh, no,
1: it, it will be on Shudder like 90 days after like Friday. It first does like a theatrical and VOD digital run before it goes oh, on to Shudder. Yeah.
0: Okay, perfect. Then we'll have awesome. to stay on that so we can promote it. But there's, okay, so Shudder's a thing. And Shudder, you know, they all called it like, it's Netflix for horror fans. And I get it. It's curated. There are people who are kind of like doing the hard work of digging through Amazon Prime for us. And then you know, there's Kings of uh, Horror on YouTube. And it's like, it's a different culture. They're also like, I don't know how much they're paying filmmakers or what kind of deals they're working out. Yeah, no idea. But they have a full channel of features. And it's kind of just anything. And there's an audience for that. And then what? Now we have Screambox that's out, which is like, uh, like not Shutter, but it, it's another. And I'm just like, wh- how are, how are these YouTube? What, there's V? V's another one on YouTube, a whole channel of, like, feature films. Like, how, do you know anything about that, like, market?
1: Not really, no. I have yet to venture into it, but, you know, I would love to, I don't know, if there was a way somehow down the road. Like, I can see, a f- like, a future of, like, just owning your own, like, content and kind of skipping the, like, distributor side of it if you've got something like youtube and you can already generate an audience like if you can just hang on to your own like ip um
2: stand-ups are doing you now.
1: yeah i I, oh i bet i bet
2: yeah yeah Yeah, it's a huge yeah like um andrew schultz he released his special he did a special independently uh did it through some you know third-party server yeah uh made Boo Koodles, it charged like 15 bucks for whatever for the ticket uh, to watch the special. Then two, three weeks later, dropped it on YouTube. So like the people who wanted to see it saw it. Now it's got like 10 million views on YouTube. So, yeah. Yeah, What
0: what I'm talking about is a little bit different, though, because I think Kings of Horror, I think they do have an agreement because all of the movies come on their channel. So I'm not sure if the filmmakers, here's the thing.
1: Oh, yeah. In regards to that, I have no idea. But yeah, and
0: it's, it's weird because clearly you're an industry guy. And um, I got, oh God, I did a, a brief interview for an article in um Footage Fiends, which is going to be a found footage horror magazine coming out. And they were talking to me about YouTube content because I always like spew about it. And I'm like, honestly, I have no idea. So I don't, I don't know that bridge. I almost feel like it's like the Walmart horror is getting pulled over there. But I, I had a I ask market. I had to ask you, because Dark Side of the Ring is so well produced that I'm like, how is this not bought up by like HBO or something? And it, does Vice actually make, uh, like a comparable amount of money bringing on a real director like you and making that product?
1: Yeah, I don't know what they, uh, what the, you know, the business side is behind it, like all and what you know, how, what you know, what it's worth to like Vice to keep it rather than you know sell it to a bigger yeah, streaming platform. I, I'm not sure. Like for me, like when we got in there, it was interesting. Like when I first started making dark side of the ring and like the first like pilot, especially the first pilot episode took like six, five to six months to make, to like figure out like, what is this going to be? Um, the whole regime there has like changed since I think it was like in between like season two or something like that. So um, you know, although like if I had any like clout there at first, it was like kind of gone by the time, like we got to season two. So I don't think they, they didn't really know like who I was or, um, like my filming background at that point, just other than I was making this dark side of the ring show that was doing well for them. And, uh, so yeah, it's been awesome that it's like, it's continued to do well and they, you know, are you know, continue to support it.
0: Man, that's that's funny because whenever I hear about a regime change in like production, they always get rid of the talent, but I'm not, I mean, clearly I'm a fan of yours. I think dark side of the ring is the best thing I've seen on YouTube for YouTube. Like, like, like like clearly. And you know, I'm talking about like coming from a genre background or a critique from a um, film teacher talking about lighting. When I look at your show, the reenactments, I don't know if you're an Errol Morris fan, but it clearly oh. reminds me of the thin blue line.
1: It was a huge inspiration. That was like the, one of the biggest inspirations for the show. And uh my producing partner Evan Husney and I like that like that's one of our favorite films. It's like top, you know, five documentaries of all time. And uh and we just wanted to bring that kind of like the you know, that kind of He brought. He just brings this like class to it, and in that film, and the way it's made, it's so um, it's like respectfully made, and like the the like reenactments were just so like cinematic. Uh, But we wanted to like do our own kind of interpretation of it. But we were so inspired by him and the Philip Glass like score. And there's like when you watch his movies with Philip Glass. Uh, behind it there's it creates this like it's like the repetitive notes create this like hypnotic like effect on you and it like you like get transported into those uh like reenactment moments where they just kind of blends in with like the interview and the storytelling in such a way like we tried to replicate that like with dark side of the ring and andrew gordon mcpherson our composer we like spoke to him so much and, and and listened to so much Philip Glass music and took um, that kind of thought behind it and try, and try to do the same thing like I, I like one of my favorite compliments with the show is that when people watch it they feel like sometimes they like saw the you know the memories in a way or that the memories like felt real to them and uh, i think that's really cool
0: It's like the perfect way to do a talking head documentary, which, you know, whenever you think of a reenactment, it's usually like some hokey lifetime shit. And you're like, it almost like lowers the standard of the product.
1: I know. I hate them usually. Like it's only Philip or, uh, Errol Morris who's done them in such a way that I thought was cool.
0: Well, you know, Um, I think you've probably elevated, you've probably done the whole memory and culture of pro wrestling a huge favor by, treating it with that errol morris touch which you know heaven's gate like we well, i always call it heaven's gate gates to have gates yeah. of heaven gates of heaven whenever we mm. me and clark are big errol morris fans and i think the magic that he does with like vernon florida that's the one is you oh, just yeah. treat everybody fair everybody yeah. gets a fair shot you say what you want to say if you're a, if you're strange or if you're a character.
2: Maybe we'll lampshade it a little bit. He but gives you space. Yeah. And he gives yeah. you a rope. And what you do with that rope is completely up to you. But mm-hmm. it's a treatment. I don't think
0: pro wrestling had ever really gotten. And it's especially, man, I just watched, Oh God, I watched it twice. Your, um, your coverage of new Jack. Oh uh,
1: yeah,
0: man. It's, it's so fun sharing these characters with people who d- don't even care about pro wrestling. Cause like Randy said, the only thing he watches on here is podcast and it's, it kind of taps into that, but it's got all of the, the beauty of a Arrow Morris documentary.
2: Yeah. and sure.
0: Dude. I legitimately think it's the best thing I've seen on YouTube. Like. For- <laughs> oh, right?
1: that's awesome.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, thank it. you. Like not as hyperbolic as you, but yes, it's wonderful.
1: <laughs> like we, not- we 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 really went to a lot of effort to make these stories like you know interesting to people that are just outside of you know the wrestling world. Like I always knew that like anyone would find them fascinating if they were just like done in a certain in a way that presented it uh, itself and like with sincerity and. Uh, it wasn't like hokey, you know, there's been a lot of like, I've seen other like wrestling documentaries that just like the aesthetics of them and like, would just turn, could turn people off like in a way. Um, or like, I've seen many of an amazing interview with wrestlers who are like the most amazing storytellers ever, but they're shot on like a lo-fi, like DV camera in a hotel room, you know, uh, <laughs> uh but like for someone like me i can sit there and i would love you know i love listening to the stories but uh to like a wider audience you know just wanted i wanted people to feel like the subjects are sitting like right in front of you like telling you know the story to you so um yeah just to be able to do that and like you know show because like i like i love wrestling like i love wrestling i grew up loving wrestling and as i've gotten older i've just had this like whole new, like appreciation for it. And like, I can remember like 10 years ago, like trying to pitch people, like uh, ideas for shows and movies within the wrestling world. And they would just see it as something that was low brow because it was like wrestling. Um, And, but I wanted to elevate it in such a way or people to see it in the same way that like Evan and I, my producing partner, like saw it. And these are like, you know, the most amazing stories that should be put like on a pedestal and given, you know, the most amazing, like just really delicate treatment to it. And so, yeah, that's uh, what I want to do. With
0: it. You've done a fantastic job of that.
2: Yeah. Well, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So Jason, now, now for the real questions here. <laughs> who's, who's the craziest wrestler? Oh my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just
2: wanted to see, see what Russell, wrest- no, no. Like you're hanging out with these guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, growing up a huge wrestling fan, like I, I feel like, and you're also, you, you're on the clock. This is a passion project, but also like kid Jason is, is probably freaking out at all times. How do you kind of keep that at bay? <laughs> like, you know, you're hanging out with your, your childhood heroes, but yeah, you, you know, yeah, you have, you have a very specific job to do. Yeah. It's,
1: um, it's, it's, it's it's funny because like the wrestlers are so um their radar for detecting detecting bullshit is so uh heightened and uh they can sense a mark like a mile away and uh oh, yeah. and so you know and there've been times where what's that?
2: Is that intimidating?
1: It's not like intimidating to me at all. It's more so like I just want to get like the best story I can and so if they're if they feel like I'm like a fan, they're going to work me like uh, a little bit, you know, or like uh, think that uh, they could play into the character maybe a little bit more. And that's what I'm going to want. Uh, but I always find it's like after like that hour where you've gotten all the bullshit that they've said years and years and years over and over and over again, they get it all out of the way that then you get to like, you know, something like really like interesting. Uh, but um i i don't know i've met so many amazing like car- like people and like uh just larger than life like um like you just brought up the new jack episode and uh there is a, a wrestler in that who i loved meeting named tiny the terrible oh. um and uh he was a wrestler who was involved with this like amazing crazy story called the, uh the mass transit incident uh, if you look it up i can't talk about it now because you should watch the new jack episode of dark side of the ring you'll see but when we went to his place he had like a universe that he created with action figures like he had made like he had t- taken action figures over the years and made his own like action figures in his own universe with them and i like I filmed a little extra feature that we put up on our on our YouTube page where you get to see them and they're they're really like out there. And um one he shows me and he puts up to the camera and the I see the hair, and I'm like, the hair looks real. And he's like, Oh yeah, I made that out of my pubic hair. <laughs> and he like glued the pubic hair onto the onto the head of the action figure. And uh I just I loved it because like to me it's like a, it's like that's like discovering like uh like discover an artist you know who's just doing it in their own like you know, bedroom and creating a universe. that was like really surreal.
0: What did it smell like?
1: He Cheeto. actually like cheated like yeah, it was something like that that he said, literally, like <laughs> oh my
2: yeah.
0: yeah, it's it's interesting, now, oh man. God there's so much to talk to you about, but I to kind of pivot out of the pro wrestling thing
2: mm.
0: which I don't even want to do if i'm honest actually <laughs> I going tap so out? my first note okay no, I, I know how to do it in Kids vs. Aliens, your opening sequence reminded me of something incredibly niche that you know because it's our 400th episode, we might as well look back in time. Do you remember when we talked to Jai Love, the director mm-hmm. about a documentary called Dead Hands Dig Deep mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that, Jason? no. Okay, there's a, um, oh, God, mid, oh God, there's an inland California town that was home to a band called Kettle Cadaver, which was kind mm. of like American black metal if it was produced by Hot Topic, except the dude who fronted the band, who's since passed away, yeah. um, Edwin Borsheim, I think. Yeah, uh, pretty close. He was a huge pro wrestling fan. He was also a huge Mad Max fan.
2: Cool. He was also a huge math
0: addict. <laughs> he, he was. Um, I believe uh, Jai told us in the interview that he had pooped maggots at one point, or
2: or but Yeah, it was.
0: Uh, he, he, was had a, he had hit a rough go, and he only ate candy and slept in a coffin. He was super interesting. I think you would love that documentary. But he, in his band, he shot a video on his property because he had like an acre where they were driving around in like Mad Max gear. And they were jumping from like car to car and fighting, and dude, I was getting flashbacks <laughs> from the beginning of Kids versus Aliens, and I was like, "What are the odds that you've seen that documentary?" Zero wow. percent. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Yeah,
1: that's amazing because I used to do the same thing. I made this movie twenty years. This is this, coming up as a twenty year anniversary of this movie of me and my friends made called Fists of Death, and we were so inspired by The Road Warrior. Like, I stole my dad's truck, and we did it, like, it's, like, a whole chase scene, but it's with, um, I don't know if you guys know what GT snow racers are. They're, like, sleds that had, like, steering wheels on them, but it's all, like, there's, like, a whole GT snow, like, all the bad guys are on sleds, like, chasing after this truck, and, uh, yeah, we did all these stupid stunts and stuff, just being so inspired by Mad Max and the Road Warrior, um, yeah, <laughs> you know
0: that—that's the thing about wrestling. When you know, when I was little, I was really involved in like the the world that was created within an organization. Yeah, and, you know, when people get older, it—at least in the '90s—it became all about like it being fake. And here I am, and I still think about it, and I'm like, why not just like people are really open about like, um, just the, the process of having a like giant athlete basically improving crazy shit on stage to like thousands of millions of people. And I'm like, why don't they just make it a fucking kind of like in world camera live show where instead of having it set in the arena of sport, you do it in like a sound studio where I've, I've said this many times. I apologize to people listening, but if you had like a cafe set and then a luchador walks in, in, but you know, he's dressed for work or something, he's going to order a coffee, but then he sees over at a table, there's a dude in a cowboy hat with a girl that he's been dating. And then, then you just tap in and they, you know, eventually fight. And then you get into the the part of the wrestling where it's the improv sport. I'm like, why not go heavy scripted on the other end? And Jason, you know, I'm going to start this project. I think we need you behind the camera.
1: I, I, you know, I agree. Like I always, like, I loved, um, wrestling when it had more, um, like theatrics, like outside of like the ring. And there's all these like infamous moments people can remember from like the attitude era. And, and, uh, and when I was a kid, I loved things too that were just like, like uh, when you w- watch like world-class championship wrestling and just like so many vignettes that they had at like the Von Erich family's like farmhouse and like, you know, just all this like really fun, like, like just, I, it's like going out like these wrestlers were going out and just creating this larger than life universe and almost doing kind of like backyard, like filmmaking where it's like, it's got like this low budget backyard, you know, guerrilla filmmaking, like vibe to it. And I love the spirit of that, you know? And there's like, there's a great fight with like Booker, Booker T and stone cold Steve Austin fighting through a supermarket yeah. That's, like, a one-take for, like, ten minutes. It's, like, one of the best one-takers you've, like, ever oh. seen in your whole life. Just look up, like, Stone Cold versus uh, Booker T uh, I Supermarket. It. I know. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, it's unbelievable. Um, and then, like, a few years ago, I thought it was brilliant. Like, during the the pandemic, um, when they couldn't have, like, an arena filled with people, they were doing these, like scripted kind of matches uh, at WrestleMania. There was this one, uh, the undertaker and AJ styles did uh, called the boneyard match. And it like had them fighting like in a graveyard. And there was like, (laughs) like all these like gimmicks that were happening and like cultists, like in robes, like showing up. It was like a, it was like a wrestling, like horror biker movie. Uh, as a match you know it was like a filmmaking match and like um like I could go on forever but like you know what one of the reasons I love wrestling is because it's it's visual storytelling it's storytelling through action and those are even my favorite movies are the ones that don't have much dialogue and its story visual story through action and so um yeah like you watch like the boneyard match and it's just like as thrilling as any movie but it's like just two guys duking it out in a great graveyard
2: <laughs> well jason is that kind of where your love of like narrative came from from wrestling
1: yeah definitely like as a kid the first things i tried like acting was doing my own promos like breath the Hitman <laughs> P- heart you know and uh and uh and using the action figures to like create my own stories with and like i would have you know like my ultimate warrior action figure would be fighting um like, like you know some crazy monster from the teenage mutant ninja turtle line you know and i would just be creating my own universe like with those figures and that that, that, that was essentially probably my first kind of storytelling which is building a world with the figures and and uh and uh yeah just making up my own stories Man, that's interesting. I. It's funny. It even led its way into the, like when I when we came up with the concept for Dark Side of the Ring and the and the and the Errol Morris inspired like reenactments. I like, I like sat down and I filmed like an interview with like myself, like just telling the story of the Bruiser the Bruiser Brody story, and I took a action figure of Bruiser Brody and Tony Atlas. And, uh, and I put my phone in slow motion and I took a flashlight and just turned off all the lights. And I was just filming like these little moments with the light moving and pushing in on slow motion on my camera. And then I cut those into the, into this interview with myself. And we use that as like the pitch, the pitch, the concept. And at first Evan was like, man, can we just like do this? Like with the action figures, like. That'd be so cheap. And, you know, but uh, but uh, ultimately, then, you know, we just, we got bodybuilders and other wrestlers and it's, you know, every shot's almost kind of creating a, a slow motion portrait. So it's really like taking the, you know, that idea of, uh, you know, just using like action figures and posing them to create like a silhouette of an image that would, uh, you know, tell the story.
0: Man, it's interesting because you know, when Clark asked you about narrative coming from pro wrestling, I'd never thought of that as like a bridge into like film appreciation. Well, that's why we're a yin and yang. Baby. I, do, I know, but it's interesting because one of the things I noticed about like uh, when, when you consider like Hobo with the Shotgun, mm. the other film pofa the other film, what is it? Faux pas, thank you, that boy. Fupa. Uh, that you use a lot better is, uh, you know, it's like (laughs) the Italian busy camera and and it's like, uh,
2: hey, Randy's in the room. I know, I know. I didn't mean to call
0: him out or like, you know, you get like a zoom or it's like a very like the camera's got a lot of movement and I I, in my head, I was just thinking that's a way to it kind of like articulates a melodrama, which I think Mm -hmm. also comes from pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because kids versus uh, kids versus aliens I'm so curious about your post-production on this film. Now, what? We, you have a brisk feature here too, right? We're, we're looking at 80 minutes? I think 75.
2: Yeah. Jeez. I mean. Hey. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I love a quick feature. Oh, yeah,
1: same.
0: But with like the amount of story you're telling in there, I was telling Clark in the hallway because we watched it in different times. I was like, dude, it felt like a two and a half hour movie to me, but it moves so quickly. And you know, when I when I think back to like Hobo with the Shotgun, I'm like, it's almost the opposite. Like, part of the the grindhouse genre is you really linger and ham things up. Like, I always think of like, you know, maybe there's like a hand on the floor, and you have a you know, it's framed tight, and then somebody comes and steps on it, and then they walk away, and then the camera might zoom in a little bit, and it's like you really <laughs> ham it up. Yeah. Where in, the, in your new film, it's almost the reverse. Like, I don't know. Was that something you were thinking about?
1: Yeah, I I think um, like Hobo with a Shotgun, it's like uh, it was very much like kind of like creating this circus around uh, Rugger Hauer, who plays the, the hobo character. So it was like everything is just so like super like heightened, super like over the top. And he's like the grounded like center of it. Whereas with Kids vs. Aliens, Like, I wanted to, like, I was really inspired by movies like Ghostbusters, to be honest, where, like, Ghostbusters now, when I watch it as older, like, I just, I love, like, how that movie is, like, shot, and there's, like, these beautiful, like, frames, but the way that performances are in them... Are just so loose and like it's almost feels like it's improv and so i i was watching it a lot just kind of studying like how they did that because i wanted to do that with the kids in the movie like i wanted them to have like a similar kind of like camaraderie that like the three guys and ghostbusters do but like have that like looseness that that almost makes it feel like like I don't know, and Ghostbusters does a better job than I do, but like to me it almost has like a like a, a documentary kind of vibe to it a little bit. And uh I don't know what that is, if it's like a Canadian kind of thing or like like all those actors are like, you know, come from like doing a lot of like improv work and um and so they're just like there's this energy, but yet like the frames are like really beautiful like in it. Um so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but
0: uh. let me um okay, let me compare it. So with your film, I actually I, I had to stop it a couple times because I love the like set design. You you have this like very busy palette that's almost like what I love about genre film. Like if we're gonna think about urban fantasy, I like a mm-hmm. heightened reality. And yeah. you have you have these very small children and like high school kids throwing a party. And I was just like, holy shit. We just had a white elephant party here. And they way outdid us with the alcohol. It was just loaded. <laughs> and like, the kitchen, the kitchen uh, there was, like, a, an island in the middle. And I paused it just to, like, look at it. because Oh, yeah. For such a quick film, you didn't back out on the set design. Like, where they have the ring in that barn area. Like, I thought everything was, like, very... Um, and I know I overuse it, but it's got that like Terry Gilliam heightened.
1: Oh, cool! Yeah, 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 like that. Um, especially like the the like the, the the clubhouse that the kids hang out in. Like it, there was often I remember people saying on set being like if people would walk on there and uh, well it was in a, a location it was an old barn for, that was built in the 1920s and. um uh, when they would walk in and see the way we decorated it, people would be like, this is ridiculous. Like, there's no way kids would ever have something like this, you know? And I th- thought, like, but that's what makes it cool. Because, like, as a kid, when I would watch things like The Sandlot or Monster Squad or Ernest Scare Stupid, like, the the clubhouses and the forts that the kids had were so amazing. Yeah you know, they were obviously built by production designers who had like a, you know, a budget to like build these things, but as a kid I really daydreamed about wanting to rep- replicate them, uh, even though they were well beyond my means, and so I thought well, if, if kids or people appreciated that kind of thing, like I do, like they could watch the movie and think the same thing, like they could, you know, daydream about you know, hanging out there, even though it's like a, it's pretty over the top, but Uh, And And same with
2: the Jason. I agree with I agree with you there. I just want to say that I agree with you there. The only thing is, is that you know, me as an adult now, because I've experienced the exact same thing, I have a very poor understanding of real estate. So it's you know that's the thing. It's like you know I think think (laughs) a boy meets world all the time. Like you remember their college dorms? They were fucking awesome. Yeah, that apartment they were in. Like, that's a fucking, like, $5,200 fucking month of rent here. What, your dorm wasn't yep. like? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, like, oh, man, that's what I'm going to be well, living like. No, I have an answer for both of those, though. And it's funny because I think um your movie addresses it. It's like the first, and everybody, first off, y'all should go watch that movie. But second, when you watch it, you're going to think the same thing. How the fuck do these kids have that?
2: It's yeah. cool. It no, doesn't matter. No, no. But but it It's super safe. No,
0: because there's a thing that happens when you watch the Monster Squad 52 times like I did sure. when I was like 12. And it, there's this weird thing happening where there's like the perfect parents who are super loving and they're there but also they're not. Like, mm-hmm. the kids are allowed this freedom that only a slightly neglectful, like I understand let your kids discover the world and mm-hmm. do what they want. But yeah. in these movies, they're so free. And then they're living in this crazy, this clubhouse. And it's like, oh, you know, these are the parents that will buy you whatever you want. Go have fun. and Exactly. That works out perfectly. It's like, oh, her parents got money. Yeah.
1: That's exactly. exactly. It's like, and you nailed it with a like Monster Squad reference. It's like when I got older and you see like, oh, wow. Like the mom had her bags like packed like next to the door, (laughs) even though it's just like in the background of the shot it's like these little details that make you realize, you know, there's a lot of drama going on behind the scenes and, and some darkness there. And same with Kids vs. Aliens. Like, if you really pay attention, you know, it's kind of more sad to think that, you know, the, these parents just, you know, they would buy, like, a ring for their kids, you know, just so that they could, you know, just ignore them and they
0: could, you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Dude, it's funny. Dude, Monster Squad is a uh, movie that you know, when you go back as an adult, it does reward you. My favorite mm-hmm. revelation in that film was um, it always, as a, as a child, I hated explosions. I don't know why. I like swords. I like the fantasy. Yeah, I uh, cool like analog. Huh? Yeah, exactly. But I was screening Monster Squad and one of our friends uh, who may be on the spectrum pointed out that the uh, Dracula character found a unique uh, workaround to his uh, restriction of needing to be invited into a house by just bringing around dynamite. And man, I had one of the most aha moments in my life. And I'm like, you're totally right. That's why he blew up their house. Yeah. Because, like, I'm not even fucking with this rule. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's incredible. But um, it is, it really is. Uh, I, I love that movie. And when we were filming kids versus aliens, um, there was like a moment in the middle of production where uh, we had like a night where um, I was able to have the kids over and their parents. And we had like a pizza movie night and I showed them monster squad and they never even heard of it. Of and uh, the kids loved it. The parents loved it too. And if anything, it helped me because like if the parents were like, had any sort of hesitation about their kids, like swearing I, yeah. in my movie and the kids swearing in my movie they, I, you know, watching Monster Squad, it was like the edgier, like Goonies, in a way, you know, like the kids swore in Monster Squad, and so, I, you know, when I express like we're trying to do something similar as today, you know, this has been thirty years or whatever since something like that, and I, you know, and so, I wanted to bring that spirit to it, and I felt like that movie helped me uh, get everyone on board with that with that idea.
0: Dude, I was. I was. I had to ask you about that, too. I mean, Monster Squad drops the bundle of sticks. They drop an F-bomb in there. And Mm. now I know Fred Deckard came out and he screened it at our Alamo. And somebody asked him about it. And they're like, would you remove that? And he was like, no, it's how kids talk then. And, you know, part of it is, you know, children are pushing boundaries. And the the question I had with your film, though, is I feel like um, we like a lot of the same things. And I've really enjoyed this recent trend of actually using children that's happening, like with Psycho Gorman. Like, let's get the oh, kids yeah. younger and younger. And that sounds terrible in that context, but I really like... Randy, make a weird <laughs> edit
2: for this. Thank you.
0: <laughs> no, But then, you know, we end up having kids in an R movie. And at the end of the day, I have to ask myself, like, well, who who is this for? So do you think you're making this for, like like millennials like us who are nostalgic for a monster squad or like, who do you think is going to like appreciate?
1: It may take a bit, but like I made it for like kids of the age of the kids in the movie. Like they're like 13, you know, 15 years old. And like, I, that was, you know, that was what I was inspired to do. And like, I felt like this movie is a movie that kids that, age could handle in a day like today and they would have a lot of fun with it and um you know I wanted it to move at a pace that would you know excite them and to have music that was pumping like through it and they could bob their head to it and you know see themselves in it and but you know if adults watch it too and they you know are reminded of their childhood like I want that as well you know so Uh, But I was really thinking of, like, you know, when I was a kid and, like, you know, I wanted to watch, like, you know, like a horror movie. I feel like my movie, it's not going to, like, it's not going to traumatize, like, any kids. And it's not going (laughs) to, like, there's nothing in it that's going to, like, you know, scare them, like, too much. So I feel it's, like, you know, I don't want to say, like, kids, like, you know, uh, defy your parents and and track this movie down. But I (laughs) kind of am, like... This I would track this movie down if I was, you know, a thirteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old, fifteen years old. I would, uh, I would be sneaking into it.
2: I don't know. I think the boomers are gonna love it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I don't know, dude. Uh,
0: your your character Billy is a lot more hard hitting than Rudy ever was. <laughs> Billy is like a seasoned villain in this.
1: Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's...
0: dude. No, I, I mean, you had, as an audience member, I felt like I was tapping out with him where I'm like, dude, this guy needs to get his come up. In. I was like, Hey,
2: for real. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, slow your roll, dude. Damn. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I needed a good heel. Right. Like, and so, uh, it's funny. Like, uh, like the guy, uh, Calum, uh, McDonald who plays Billy, he's like the nicest soul in the world and uh after the movie would play and he at film festivals and him being there people would after screenings like run up to him and be like you fucking asshole like i can't believe you do that and uh i would be like no no, no. he's like a super nice guy like take it take it easy on him
2: <laughs>
1: god this probably sounds so dumb like
0: us uh, saying that but i dare anybody to go watch this film and love billy by the end of it yeah. you know that might come from pro wrestling too
1: because you know hate no, no, totally.
0: heel, and yeah that dude just keeps
2: piling on
1: yeah yeah
2: so what what wrestler would what heel what heel would be best described as what billy would uh oh
1: my god that's a good question I
2: mean, that's why you um, said it, but... Yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> Thank you for extrapolating.
1: No, oh man, I don't even know who I could compare him to other than, like, a, Like I am very inspired by this wrestler. We did an episode about named Gino Hernandez, who, um, like, you know, he was like a mama's boy, but he could, like, play, like, this, like, um... Like, um... Like a very... I don't know, like a devilish sort of, like, character. Um... That like who could seem sweet but yet like um backstab you, you know mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he was an amazing an amazing re- wrestler and I feel like he's like the archetype for like like good looking heels that uh that you just like you wanna like you wish you could you know you could you could get your hands on them because they they have you know everything but they're just great manipulators and what about uh, what about Randy
2: orton? Uh, oh my
1: god. Uh, oh, I, I could I could see it. Uh, it's funny, but the biggest inspiration on the character was actually the show called Fuckboy Island. Have you ever heard of that show? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So like when I was trying to help Caleb like get into the mindset of the character, I was like, you gotta watch the show called Fuckboy Island because <laughs> there's these guys that just like when they're on camera they're like manipulating um like women and playing up this role and gaslighting them and then once you see them like you know backstage and they reveal them true their true selves they're like these assholes you know and uh and uh that's how like billy is in the movie Is like whenever he's around samantha the character he's like playing up this like what she wants like and, like, for, like, a, as, a, like, a dream, like, boyfriend, he's, like, manipulating her. But then when you see, like, what his intentions really are, they're just so evil.
0: God, that, that was effective. Billy is a <laughs> re- memorable villain. For sure. Now, I, I, you. I have to ask, um, part, part of the reason why I think I've followed you so closely was early on when you did a segment in VHS2. Now, um, we're huge found footage fans, and we, we started a uh, found footage film festival.
3: So, we, oh, wow.
0: this, this is just a thing, we only show in world camera well, movies. Well, this year's the sixth year, so we're past the yeah. point of starting it. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. And I always, I, you know, I apologize to some guests because I usually try to steer them into making a found footage film. But you've like flirted with it. And I've always wondered if you were going to do a feature because you did um, a very similar short. In VHS two to kids versus aliens. Mm-hmm. And then you did um what your first work with Vice was one more dive, right?
1: Mm, yes, one last dive.
0: One last dive, yeah. So I don't know, is there an appreciation there or was it just
1: Yeah. A- no, definitely. Um it it really came from uh <laughs> like I really like my inspiration on my VHS two segment and my one last dive short was um it was really ride films. Uh, like when you go to like universal studios and they had like this back to the future ride and you were like in a DeLorean and there was like a screen in front of you projecting yeah. a movie and your are the, the DeLorean was moving with like the camera movement, creating this feeling of you being like in the movie. And, uh, when I did the short film for slumber party, alien abduction for VHS two, I was really inspired by that. And, um, Uh, Stuart Gordon's uh, Aliens ride film. Uh, Like he did a ride film for the Alien movie, uh, or Aliens. And it's like you're in the perspective of like the tank, like going through like the colony after it got taken over um, by aliens. And so with the short, I wanted it to be like, you're from the perspective of a pet dog during a family getting like abducted by aliens. And it's like, you're hanging on to the back of the dog. And like, you know, going through this like haunted house ride and same with the one last dive short. It's like being from the perspective of a search and rescue diver and going on this like underwater sort of like haunted house ride in a way. And so that's what like that. That was like what was really like inspiring me at the time um, and, and trying to bring that kind of that vibe to like the found footage uh, genre.
0: I didn't realize that was Stuart Gordon that did that. Yeah. Role.
1: Yeah, it's cool,
0: and and it was Jeffrey Combs in it. I had to look it up. Yeah, I remember that ride? Yeah. What a good yeah, idea! An,
1: you know, they were they were great together, and so yeah, it's funny that the the two of them made you know a ride film.
0: <laughs> Weird. So, so are you a fan of found footage?
1: Yeah, I I I, I am. Um, uh, it's a uh, yeah, I. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely down, like, um, I just, I, yeah, It's uh, it's been a minute, I feel, since I've, like, kind of put myself or, like, kind of thought about, like, getting into that, into the spirit of that again.
0: Dude, Jason, we got recommendations for you. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's one of those art forms. Like, I feel after The Blair Witch and then definitely after Paranormal Activity, it got that kind of colored light treatment where people are like this isn't how you make a movie that's a that's a way to rip off an audience and turn a quick buck and mm. i'm like how can y'all ignore a completely different narrative approach like oh the, yeah the character in the film is making the movie i don't know yeah. I feel like we, we need uh, more creatives like you in the found footage world. A, oh, thank you, yeah. I know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> drag you back in here. I don't know, I
1: think we're... I think we're <laughs> no, I good. would. Uh, I, was, I saw uh, Eduardo Sanchez um, at Fantastic Fest and we worked on VHS2 together and he directed, you know, The Project and, and um, we were both kind of reminiscing and being like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get the gang back together who did VHS 2 to do, like, VHS 2 Part 2. <laughs> oh, and I was like, hell yes. I would I would definitely do that. That would be awesome.
0: That's funny, because I feel like that's what they've been trying to do with the VHS series since then. <laughs> what, we have, like, 94 and 99.
1: Did you check out any of those? Uh, I haven't seen uh, 99 yet.
0: I think 94 is the newest one, and I recommend you Oh,
1: sorry. Maybe... Like
0: no, 90. Okay, maybe I haven't. It? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, because yeah. it's all no. about uh white. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Dude, you know, <laughs> I can't remember way. which way it goes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Fucking confusing.
1: <laughs> I saw a Simon Barrett's segment that he did in the funeral home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I love I thought that segment was awesome.
0: Yeah, I feel I, I wish more um kind of like film philosophers would dig into like the Adam Wingard Simon Barrett molding a found footage because i really think vhs is kind of what brought it back and especially mm-hmm. in like the internet era because i think i think i watched that streaming the first time and um i actually saw
2: vhs2 in a theater mm. out here r.i.p to the clay i rented vhs1 on comcast on demand baby wow <laughs> yeah <Sweet.
0: laughs> Oh, yeah so was was that short like an inspiration or like was it just a similar subject matter for kids vs aliens
1: um it was like like the idea was to kind of take the concept of it and like you know turn it into a feature film but i i didn't want to do the same thing that i already done and i didn't want to do like an animal perspective like movie um and i just had all these new like inspirations and so Um, It was like, yeah, just kind of taking the spirit of the short film and, and, you know, making it into, uh, yeah, like kind of like a a new take as a feature.
2: Now, Jason, I want to play a quick game. Oh, no. Quick game. (laughs) Sure. Friday, I win the lottery. Saturday, the next day, I come to you. I say, Jason, here's $10 million I want you to make. Treevenge, the feature film you in or you out
1: you know before this year i probably would have said no but now like I, like over christmas i like you need the I money was, like inspired no I, <laughs> well i could but i like i like i just started daydreaming about the i was daydreaming about the idea of like a Treevenge 2 you know yeah. um and uh and so I don't know. I think like it's it would be possible. Yeah, like if uh, if someone wanted to uh, do that, that'd be awesome.
2: Now, Jason, my problem with Tree Venge too <laughs> is that I think now again this is going to sound really harsh, but please just let me finish. I, I think that not only did you peak at Tree Venge, I think <laughs> film as a whole peaked at Tree Venge. I <laughs> just like honestly, I don't think we got anywhere else to go i think you know, i love it so much it gives me so much joy it's so much uh, it's
1: awesome so- I, I like my favorite thing about it i've been saying is like you know if i didn't realize it at the time but like if you make like a a holiday film like a christmas film and people will like play it you yeah. know every year and make a tradition out of it and like treevenge is probably the thing that People have seen the most of mine because it's they watch it every year. Um, and I, yeah, I just I, I love that. It's crazy because it's like, yeah, one of the first short films that I made.
0: So it's got the like beats of a good joke. Yeah. Like the premise shows up and you're like, oh, okay. No, everything works. The timing, yep. everything is 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 perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's building. So by the end of it, like you end at the perfect, I don't know. That's why I'm like, what are we going to do with the feature here? Who cares? Ten million (laughs) dollars.
1: That's what I thought too. Like originally, I because there were people asking me at the time, like, would you turn into a feature? And I was like, I don't know what else is there to say, you know, with this with this concept. But you know, if I actually sat down and really put some thought into it, I bet we could figure out a way to make it into a feature.
2: Yeah, you
1: get that ten million, and (laughs) you'll be the producer. I'll get you. I'll get you a you know sweet. Chair right there by the monitor, and you can, you know, light trees on fire. I'll let you do whatever you want to them. You know,
0: it. you want to roll. I could see it in your eyes. You're like, I'm waiting for the roll off. I'll take tree you're, murder. Yeah, you're one of those. Yeah, projects. we'll get
1: you tree murdered for I'll sure. <laughs> murder.
0: Okay, well, so what's your beef with aliens? Why you keep killing them in your movie?
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, that's it's interesting, I guess, like when I was a kid. I remember at the age, I was 10 years old when the trailers for the movie Fire in the Sky started airing on television. And underneath the title, it said, Based on a True Story. And as a kid, like, God, like, I was so, you know, my imagination was wild. And, and um, I was terrified of the idea of that, like, what I saw happening to that guy in that trailer happening to me. And, um, where I'm from in Nova Scotia is like a hotbed for supernatural and paranormal, like legends and folklore. And there's this great, there's this great story. Um, and this actually happened. You can look this up in 1967, a UFO like crashed into Shag Harbor and all these like fishermen saw it happening and they saw this big glowing yellow light, like crash into the ocean and they thought it was a plane at first, and so they raced their boats out there, thinking maybe they could find survivors. And when they got there, there was just this glowing light coming from the depths below. And um, there were, there's been all these rumors as to like what happened. And for basically a week after that, um, the American uh, Navy had their like ships parked over it, and they set up all these barriers so people couldn't see what they were you know, pulling up. And uh, growing up, I had a family member who was in the Canadian Navy, and he told me the rumors that like he heard. And that just like, really uh, fired up my imagination and the idea of aliens lurking, like in the ocean and coming out of the ocean. And and, uh, coming for me and my friends, like I I kept a baseball bat under my bed for years, because I thought, that's something that you know. If they come for me, like I want to be ready, This quick drop, boom, just ready to go.
2: <laughs> be A
0: mobile <little> slugger, baby. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's that's a terrifying thought. And as a child, I watched I remember one episode of America's Most Wanted with my mom, and I got a knife from the kitchen and put it under my pillow. I also did. Whoa! That. Yeah, I
2: was just like, they're not going to come here. <laughs> wow! Someone had escaped from the. <laughs> From the local jail, and was considered to be high risk, and so Gosh. I I slept with a butcher's knife that night. Really?
1: Wow! Holy shit! I imagine was- like imagine your kid like loses some teeth, and you like go to be like Tooth Fairy, and you like pull up their <laughs> pillow, and there's just like a gun like under their pillow.
2: <laughs>
0: well, I mean, versus aliens too. Yeah, also, maybe one of the least weird things about your childhood growing up in a
2: mortuary, right? Yeah, baby. Yeah, so whoa,
0: really? That's oh, yeah. cool.
2: Yeah, that was my wow. first job. Wow, that was, my, that was my first job. Also, uh, yep. lived in a mortuary for a little while. Uh, wow, like that's interesting.
1: Uh,
0: God, I never made that connection.
1: That's that's cool. cool.
0: God. Well, so, okay. So what's your future looking like now? I know you have a film coming out, but are you all geared up to do more genre film or are you going back and doing more documentary in the future?
1: Yeah, there's going to be like more documentaries I'll be working on for sure. And um, I'm writing a movie, like another genre movie right now. Um, And then, yeah, just trying to like, I've got several projects that I've had in development over the years different studios and stuff so hopefully this movie just helps me to you know nudge some of those and if uh, if people like this movie enough like my dream would be to be able to make another one of them um because we've, we've spent a lot of time building the universe of this movie and creating like a world that i feel like i could tell like other stories in and we've already mapped out what the the sequel would be to it if we ever got that opportunity so i don't know we'll see
0: do you ever do you ever like flex, um, your like Turbo Kid clout, like helping with that movie? Because I feel like that movie somehow managed to make a really strong impact, and like people yeah. still bring it up. Yeah,
1: that's cool. I I don't really get to, and it's um, but I like I I love talking about it. no one's like, you're the first person who's mentioned uh Turbo Kid through my whole press really? run, you know. So it's like uh, I yeah, that movie is uh. It's very close to my heart, and uh, so so proud of that movie. And a lot, and like I see, like people will be like, "This looks like it's in the like, you know, similar to like Turbo Kid," and uh, having no idea that you know I I uh, was part of like uh, helping to make that movie. And so I, I I think I see it as like a compliment, you know, like, uh, like I think they would make actually like really good double features.
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny like we because we deal with like micro budget horror and like like even more like foreign art film and stuff like when our like lame hipster friends were really getting hyped about turbo kid it's like oh shit this thing's big yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think raven's banner just put out another release with like baseball cards
2: like that movie oh, yeah i
1: saw that
0: yeah so that movie's in the zeitgeist and i remember the reason i knew about it was because you were a part of it
1: oh that's so cool you
0: up in there i was just like i was cheering you on the, the, oh that's awesome jason i i really feel like um we need we need more like consistent genre filmmakers who aren't like like i feel like a lot of the interesting um filmmakers are going like a24 or even kind of like that homogenized like Bloomhouse kind of feel and i want more mm-hmm. like indie interesting stylized thoughtful filmmakers who
2: kill
1: kids on camera <laughs> <Yeah>. randy
0: cut <laughs> that out <laughs> no,
1: but yeah I, I know what you mean like like this movie honestly like i just i got to make like the film that i wanted to make and um and what i'm most proud of about it is like i like i've spent years like working on you know, developing properties for studios and, you know, some properties, things that I grew up loving, uh, but you'd spend like months on them and but it never would like f- wish into do anything. You walk away with like nothing like out of it. You don't own that IP or anything. So all that work, you don't get to like do anything with it. And so for me, like that, one of the biggest things I'm proud of with kids versus aliens is like, I'm creating my own universe. Like it's my own you know, in a world that there's so many, like, like remakes where we're seeing, like, you know, um, like, just IP that uh, we've seen stories from, like, so many times. You know, this is an original thing that comes from me and my friends. And, um, and no one, like, you know, got in the way of it and just supported us to make, like, a crazy little movie. So that's my dream is I could just do that again. Like like in the same budget realm and everything, like I would I would just keep making movies like this, like you know, for the rest of my life that are like these smaller uh, movies that are personal to me and ways for me to tell my my crazy stories.
0: There we go. All right, I, I know we got to wrap this up soon, but I had to ask what, one of my um one of my favorite podcasts, Scary Thoughts. I always talk about them on yep. here. Uh, put a dollar in the jar. One one of the hosts, Chad. Uh, he, he has this theory that, like, you shouldn't spend time watching terrible film because he thinks trash in, trash out. Like, you should watch great things and then you'll make something great. And that I always feel like slightly offended by it because as a fan of like Tubi or Amazon Prime and uh, just being a horror fan who likes finding the gem in the dirt kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like I don't know. I feel like I'm mining all these genre films for like moments that you can like. I'm um, eventually steal, yeah. and highlight, which I think is what mm-hmm. Tarantino kind of turned into a career. Yeah. But I, I'm curious, like, where do your ideas come from? Because you sound very busy. So I'm I'm wondering, do you watch like genre films anymore? Do you watch like indie horror? Like, what are you watching?
1: Um, I'm watching a lot of YouTube. <laughs> and I'm. Uh, honestly i do uh and um i guess like the movies i go through like these waves or like these um like what i'm inspired by at the time and so like you know like right now i've just been i've been diving into a lot of like old martial art films that i've never seen and i just bought um like those shaw brother sets
0: oh yeah from era
1: um yeah, they're just amazing. So I've been diving into that, and Are you like
2: Tarantino now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, I did like when Kill Bill came out. Like I had like a uh, like I was very interested in all the films that like inspired that movie. Yeah. Um, but um, now it's just I'm like you know kind of discovering like because of those box sets like uh, all these films I've never like seen before. But like now just even you know, like like what I've learned from filmmaking and watching them the now it's like, I, I had this appreciation for how they like, they, uh, they filmed everything like in a studio and like the backdrops are all like painted skies and, and uh, they're like just created like its own like universe, you know, like for all those movies kind of like fit in a similar way, like within like this, like, I don't know, this like one like universe in a way, or maybe it's because they're using, same production designers to make costumes and backdrops and whatnot. Uh, but uh, I've been loving, th- I've been loving those movies and um, I just saw this movie. Uh, well, I saw it a few months ago, but I can't stop talking about it. It's this movie called uh thrilling bloody sword. And if you were to see it, uh, you would think I like was like super inspired by it to make kids vs aliens, but I didn't see it till um, I was like in post- on it, but it's kind of a retelling of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, but it's like this really crazy rendition of it, and the effects are amazing. And if you love swords, you'll love it because there's like one of the coolest swords I've ever seen in a movie is in it. Um, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm just like I, I guess yeah, I just like devour whatever I'm like kind of like into at the time, and I guess right now I'm just going through kind of like a weird martial arts movie kick oh yeah
0: (laughs) are you a big theater guy do you go out to movies at all
1: oh yeah yeah definitely yeah so i I see like a lot of like what's coming out too
2: what would you what would you think of megan
1: oh i actually haven't seen that yet
2: oh jason you gotta do it
1: yeah i want to see the unrated cut like because like the cut that's out there now has just been chopped to hell so i want to i want to see it when it's like it's got the original
0: did you know about that Clark no
2: it. but let me tell you something. go go see the mall cut go see the BG.
1: here's
0: the it's thing. I will, I will. It's good. yeah um a te- okay here here's the thing i've thought about forever and i almost didn't ask you i used to be on a kick about like how pro wrestling and the slasher subgenre were kind of like uh related and there's this mm. weird thing where if you're like a friday the 13th fan you're basically clearly you're rooting jason Cause he's the only consistent thing here, but you're kind of rooting a heel. You're cheering for him. And in every movie, he's got that kind of pro wrestling arc where he's like climbing to the top and then he'll, he'll lose at the end because they have to. And I mean, mm-hmm. in wrestling, they don't always have to, but there's something that's like, there's this weird. I don't know what it is about rooting for somebody, you know, is going to fail, <laughs> but like in pro wrestling, that happens all the time too. But there's oh, little, yeah. there's an element of, like, abuse there, too, <laughs> where, like, uh, I always think of um, Part 7, where it's, like, Jason versus Carrie. And I'm, like, the best part of that movie is watching Jason take his, like, bumps, like, the, the mask mm. ripping off and everything. And I don't know, have yeah. you, like, are you a big slasher guy?
1: Yeah, I love slasher films. And um, I know what you mean, too. Like, um... And again, like, I, I, you know, my favorite slasher films and probably why I like them is because of the best ones are like, it's such visual storytelling and you don't need a lot of dialogue to, you know, do, you know, slasher film like sequences in a way. And um, but like, you know, you look at uh, someone like Mankind, you know, who definitely takes inspiration from, you know, Leatherface and other iconic like horror uh, characters. And then you watch, uh, you know, the the match that I always show anyone to kind of, if you're gonna crash course into why I love wrestling, is the Hell in the Cell match with Mankind and The Undertaker. Oh, yeah. It's like watching these two monsters, these like mythological, like monsters, you know, it's like Frankenstein versus Dracula, or, you know, it's, it's been done before, but like, or like Freddy versus Jason, but like, we're the, the the drama in that match between these two monsters and there's no dialogue. I'm telling you that match is more dramatic and more thrilling than any movie you've ever seen. Like uh, I've watched people who are not wrestling fans, like, like screaming at the screen, you know, (laughs) during that match. Um, It's a, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too, because when you think of like a personality like the rock, You could compare that to slashers, too, where like Jason would be like the quiet kind of large physical specimen who's not great on the mic. But then you get like a Freddy who it's like, you can't really replace that. Like the great Kali. Yeah, like the great Kali. And then or like the Undertaker. (laughs) Like you pair up the Undertaker with Paul Bearer so that you get that like equilibrium there. Sure. And ah, man, it's I don't know. There's something there. I should have thought about it more before I brought it up. <laughs> it's funny that you bring up that match because I instantly think of um, what behind uh, behind the mat, beyond the mat, beyond the mat, beyond the mat, which yep. is like. Oh, now that I'm thinking about it, it's the dark side of the ring, but it's like a cinema verte version. Mm,
1: and, I love right, that doc.
0: Would you yeah. ever? I don't know. Your reenactments are so good. Would you ever do like a cinema verte? Would you <laughs> be interested on in having a camera on the floor?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's like that's what I, you know, I would love to do. And, uh, yeah, I think like, uh, if I were to do it, probably another like documentary outside of dark side of the ring, that's probably what, like, that's always what my instinct is to do. Like, and that's what I, you know, I'm usually gravitated towards doing. So, I will definitely, yeah, I'll definitely be doing stuff like that for sure. And like, you know, before I, I done documentaries for years for uh, discovery channel and, and national geographic as uh, some of my first gigs in the, in the business, um, like camera operating and directing um, and just going out with a camera and just being on the ground and finding the story. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I, that, I love doing that. That's like one of my favorite, aspects of filmmaking
0: yeah and when you're jaded film fans like we are you're always chasing that like privilege moment that really is only (laughs) a product of you know the cinema verte style chasing
2: the dragon but you know having said that
0: and on here whenever one of us talks about a documentary the first thing is like is it fucking talking head i never get that Mm -hmm. vibe from dark side of the ring
2: no
0: yeah you
1: really yeah yeah dude oh that's good Clark,
0: <laughs> yeah, you've gone
2: fifteen minutes I, over no, I with can't your help it. bullshit,
0: Jason. I'm sorry. You know, it's uh, getting to talk to you is a huge thing for me. Um, forever, me as fan. well. I'm not just no, a no, thank you. over
2: here. <laughs> um yeah
0: dude thank you congratulations on the new film thank you for spending you. time with us too
2: now jason before we, before we cut you loose um tell us the the release schedule because you, you're getting a theatrical yeah. release and some vod so when, when can uh, when can we watch the film
1: yeah uh it's in select theaters in the states uh this friday january 20th and it also comes out on vod and digital this friday as well too and, um, yeah, probably I think a couple months from there, it'll be on Shudder and we'll do the whole Blu-ray release as well, too. But you can follow me like on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Eisner and I can keep you up to date, up to date on all that stuff.
0: Okay. All right. And you've been doing a press junket. So normally, whenever mm-hmm. we get somebody on one, we always try to at least entertain you. How, how long of a day? How many hours have you put in today?
1: Oh, today, not too bad. I had actually, I was like, most of my press was last week. So this is great. Like, I, I, this is awesome talking to you guys. Uh, it's just great to kind of like, you know, just shoot the shit about a lot of stuff. Cause most of my interviews are like 15 minutes long. And so I'm just like,
2: yeah, and they talking, suck shit you know, the that.
1: same points, you know? So this is cool to just, you know, get to talk about a bunch of stuff.
0: Dude, Jace, you know, the only thing we've got going for us is like starting a film fest. And we've been doing this long enough that it feels like we've got momentum. But like, man, early on, like talking to people for an hour, it's like, oh, God, like imposter syndrome. I don't know if you felt that, Clark, but I did.
2: No, because I I (laughs) it took you six years to realize the the, you know, make fake it till you make it. I know, I get it. And now you're later. Yeah. It's
1: great. it's cool that you guys are like so into, like, found footage movies because it's funny, like, when I was, you know, approaching to make this movie, I had so many people come up and be like, you're not making it like a found footage movie, are you? you know? <laughs> and, because uh, it's got, like, an, a, 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 like, it's like wrestling. It's got, like, a stigma towards it that, you know, if, um, I, for some reason it does. And, uh, but, like, hearing you guys, like, have a festival and everything, like, it's inspiring because, like, I do want to do more uh,
0: found footage stuff so well dude jason uh, if cool you,
1: you guys are into it
0: um the end of march we're doing a festival out here in the bay area if you want to come out you're always welcome
1: oh shit you guys are out there that's awesome that's uh I my partner's from out there so we're we're out there uh that's cool.
0: You're always welcome. If you ever shoot something on a cell phone and you want to show it at on on a screen, let us know. We'll program it. But the oh, other things, be awesome. like man, it, you know much like wrestling for so long it was kind of ignored and kind of put in a corner of like oh this is just exploitive or easy it's like an easy thing to do to make some money and then mm. the stories behind the people that make them are just incredible there's so many weird people out there making found footage movies that's part of the chase man one of our favorite yeah. uh, dude in romania who was you know the, when he met the actresses in his film the for the first time they were getting off of whatever public transit they took to be in the movie, and he was already filming them. And he Whoa. had. A, if I'm speaking to you in English, this is the movie. So, like, t- to try and grab that like verisimilitude to
2: really like blur reality, yeah. dude, they go to some crazy lengths out there. Because the first time we see those characters meet on film was the first time they actually met.
1: Yeah, and that, so right yeah, what's that called?
2: And be my cat.
1: Wow, that's great.
2: No, Be My Cat, a film for Anne. A be My Cat, a film
0: for Anne. Yeah. It's it's about a dude who's obsessed with uh, Anne Hathaway after watching Batman. So he's casting women to be his, uh, his cat woman.
1: It's something else, Jason. Whoa, okay, how, how <laughs> I've heard about this. All right,
0: so Be My Cat, watch that, and then I, please, I know the minute you leave here, forget everything we've said. Watch I Dead should. Hands Dig Deep. That's the yes,
1: I, I got that up here. I'm gonna watch that, dude. It sounds like great.
0: Cinema verte weirdness out here in California, but yeah, um, I mean it. Hit us up, Unnamed Footage Festival. If you're ever out here, dude, uh, the end of March, we're doing a festival. Actually, awesome. I, I made my screen, I can't even see. Did Randy stop recording? Oh, no, he's still going. Randy, you still there? We love you. I'm here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we usually say bye or something, but I'll stop now. Okay. <laughs> Jason, dude, thank you for hanging out, man.
3: Um
1: Yeah, thank you guys and congrats on the four hundred episodes. That's awesome.
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there,